So Acts chapter 28, guys. Acts chapter 28 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 31. So we're wrapping up. Uh, what, what has it been, a year? A year-long study of the book of Acts, I think. Uh, somewhere around there. Um, got about halfway through uh, Acts 28 last week. And we're going to wrap it up this week. Last week we saw Paul take a painstakingly long journey uh, from Caesarea to Rome. It was a five-week trip that turned into at least four months due to bad weather and a terrible storm. And I couldn't help but like hum the Gilligan's Island theme as I was thinking about that, right? It was supposed to be a three-hour tour, and it wound up being years and years. Well, that's kind of what happened here. It was supposed to be a five-week trip, and it turned into at least four months uh, of trying to get there because of the, uh, the weather and having to winter in Malta. Eventually, as they're trying to make their way, they're battling the, the weather. Eventually, the, the group of sailors, soldiers, and prisoners, uh, they were all made... Uh, to winter on Malta, and the reason for that is because a massive storm that raged for more than two weeks, we don't know exactly how long, but it said that they hadn't eaten in two weeks because they were freaked out about the storm, and Paul had them eat after that, so it was probably longer than that, um, but it raged on for at least two weeks at sea, and that's where they crashed and destroyed their boat, and so they get there, they get to Malta. All in all, Malta seems like a pretty nice place for the most part. It was a, an island inhabited by generous people. Uh, Luke said that after the boat crashed, the local people there showed everyone great kindness. Said they lit a fire and they took everyone in because it was cold and raining. Uh, but it also has poisonous snakes, right? So it's not so great. Paul, like a great servant leader that he is, decides to go out uh, after getting there from this uh, shipwreck and he goes out to gather firewood for the fire and winds up being bitten by a snake and the islanders thought this must be some kind of judgment on Paul he survived the sea but the gods are, have something against him they thought he was probably a murderer and they said well there he goes he's going to die um, so the murderer is going to die but he didn't fall over dead uh, immediately and he didn't die at all so after going from the idea that he was a murderer they thought well he must be a god then only a god could possibly be bitten by a poisonous snake and not die. Um, and I'm sure uh, that Paul spoke out against any notion of being a god. He's done that before in the book of Acts. Uh, but his actions didn't help in dissuading people because even after being bitten by this snake and they think he's a god, he also healed the leader of the island's father. He had uh, a fever and dysentery and Paul goes to him and heals him. And so I'm sure that, the, the, okay, so you're not a god, sure, right? And then all, after that, all the sick people come to him, and he begins to heal all the rest of the island's infirmities. And the people there were so blessed and grateful for Paul's ministry uh, that God had them provide the meal, the food that they would need uh, to get all the way to Rome. And so they get, they get blessed, and they bless in return. And so we see that three months go by. Finally, a ship comes to Malta that sets the uh, trip to Rome back in motion. And the rest of this part of the trip goes very smoothly. And Paul ends up in Rome. Luke tells us that Paul is treated rather well when he arrives in Rome. Luke said in verse 16 uh, that Paul was allowed to live by himself along with one roommate, which was likely a rotating guard. We'll see that here in just a second. 
uh, and the place would have been like a rented apartment. And so he's living, uh, as long as he can pay his rent, he'll get to continue living, living this way up until the time that he sees Caesar. All right, so after all of that, we get to see this, I'm going to put this in air quotes, the riveting end of the book of Acts. And you'll see why I'm putting that in air quotes here in just a second. I want to pray for our time, uh, but just think about this riveting end to the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that your work goes forward, your kingdom uh, has come and will come. And I pray that we would be uh, a part of that, the way that Paul has been a part of that, the way that Luke has been a part of that, and all the other brothers and sisters in Christ have been a part of that, that we have seen in this uh, wonderful book uh, of Acts. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be um, inclined towards service for your kingdom and that you would provide many opportunities for us to serve you uh, in our time on this world. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. All right, so think about the air quotes as I read through this. Acts 28, verses 17 to 22. Follow along with me there. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And then they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you, but we want to hear what your views are since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. Right, so I'm personally somewhat amazed here. Paul takes a three-day break after... He gets to Rome. All right, so can you imagine everything that Paul has gone through? This whole trip was chaos incarnate, right? And you end up in Rome. You find out that you're under house arrest. Or otherwise, you can do pretty much whatever you want uh, from that house uh, until your trial, uh, which we will find out later. This isn't going to take place anytime soon. This is going to be years down the road before he actually gets uh, to see Caesar. Um, after being in a storm that raged for weeks, after being bitten by a poisonous snake, after going through all the motions of healing all the sick people in Malta, and then you have further sea travel uh, that takes you to Rome, and you go, I'm going to take three days of personal time before I get back at it. I mean, three days? After all of that, I mean, I'm taking at least a week, right? I, three days? Paul's like three days and I have to get back to work. Paul is all about working for the kingdom of God. He knows that time is short. No matter how long you live in this world, time is short and people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is on a mission. He's making sure that everyone he comes into contact with knows who Jesus of Nazareth is and even now, after everything that's happened at the hands of the Jews, we can see in verse 17 that he still loves them. right? Because the first thing that he does after that three days off is call the leaders of the Jews in Rome over to his house. Right? He's, he's attempting to get started on everything that's going to happen in this trial that will eventually occur. Like I said, it's going to be years down the road. And he presents his case 
to the Roman Jews by saying that he's done nothing wrong against their people or the customs of their ancestors. Notice here that Paul is still identifying with them. Right? He says, I'm one of you. I'm not, I'm not falling off into left field here. I'm one of you. I believe the things that you believe. I, I'm not going against our people. I'm not going against our ancestry. He, he informs them that he's been falsely imprisoned and the only reason that he's still in Roman custody is because the Jews objected to his being released and so he was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Right? There was some shady stuff going on among the governors and the, the leadership of the Jews in Jerusalem. And so he's like, I don't want to fall back into their hands. And so I appealed to Caesar. He says something very interesting in verse 19. He said there, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. Right? So it appears that Paul could have brought charges of some kind against the Jews in Jerusalem if he had been found innocent by the emperor. Like a countersuit, if you will, right? Somebody sues you and you sue them back, right? But instead of taking that route, instead of going the route of vengeance, wrath, Paul says, the only reason I'm bringing this to Caesar is to get away from the influence of the Jews in Jerusalem. They keep messing with the judicial system there, right? Both Festus and Felix said, there's no reason for this guy to be imprisoned. Agrippa agreed. There's no reason for this guy to be imprisoned. And yet, he's still in prison for years. And so, because of political nonsense, the Jews kept influencing his being released. And so, Paul took it to the top where the Jews have no influence in Rome. And it appears to have worked. Right In verse 21, the leaders of the Jews state they haven't received any letters about Paul from Judea. No one's come to speak out against Paul, so it seems as though the Jews in Jerusalem have given up. Now, they have no influence here. They have no way to shape the outcome of this trial. And so, because in Rome, Paul's beyond their reach and their influence, so they just stop trying to get to him and stop trying to get his death taken care of at this point. Right? They've bowed out, which is great news for Paul. This means that his trial will be fairly presented Right? It'll be fairly interpreted. That means he doesn't have to worry about his character being drugged through the mud. And I mean, with that, we as Christians, we should not care so much about what people think of us as we pursue the things of God. Right? But it's nice when we're presenting the gospel that the person that we're presenting it to doesn't already think that we're the scum of the earth. Right? It makes it a little bit easier when you can start with a blank slate when you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? That makes receptivity a little bit better. If they think that you're garbage, then they're not going to listen. And so this works in Paul's favor. And so Paul is starting with a clean slate among the Jews. It says that they are interested in hearing his views on Christianity since people everywhere are speaking about it. So people are hearing about the Christian faith, and it's not good, but these guys have the best way to look at it, really. Like, we hear everybody talking poorly about this, but we want to hear your view on it. Right? So Paul was a guy, if you wanted to talk to anybody about the faith, Paul was the guy to talk to. And here they have this opportunity. And so, since people were speaking against it, they want to hear from Paul about it. And of course, Paul is happy to oblige that request. I mean, why wouldn't you be? 
right? So I want to I want to ask legitimately. This is a raise your hand kind of question here. How many of you had have had people just come up to you and say, "Tell me about Jesus"? Anybody? Really, nobody has ever asked that of you. So it's it's it has happened to me a few times in my life as I have prayed for people uh, to witness to uh, one very particular instance that pops to mind when I thought about this was we had a neighbor when we lived in Burlington we had a neighbor that lived two houses down I think it was she and her boyfriend were living together and they were really awesome people we hung out with them all the time we had them over to the house they had us over a few times we had kids and they didn't so it was a little bit easier just to come to our house and there was one night we were sitting around the fire pit in the backyard and all of a sudden the girl looks at me and goes so how long have you been a part of the church? <laughs> well, here we go. Open door. Let's get this done, right? And so we sat there. We had a, an open conversation back and forth about the church, about the beauty of the gospel, full on shared it. She heard it. She didn't accept it at the time. I don't know what happened to her. She and her boyfriend broke up and they went separate ways. They wound up selling the house and moving away. Uh, but right there it was. I was praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith and all of a sudden, without even pursuing it, she opened the door and I stepped through it, right? And so, I mean, praise the Lord. And on top of that, like what about when people come to your house and they're wanting to share their faith with you? So are you the type of people, right, when the Mormons show up on their bicycles or the Jehovah's Witnesses drive up and they knock on your door? Are you the type of people that cut off all the lights and go hide under the kitchen table and tell everybody not to make any noise? Right, because I tell you what, when they knock on my door, come in, come in, let's talk. I even had one set of Jehovah's Witnesses come back twice. I was like, I don't, I don't agree with you. I'd like to share my faith with you and what I believe. And if you'd like, I'd love to have you back. We can have some coffee and talk about this some more. And they came back. And then after they left, I was like, please come back again. And they didn't. <laughs> I don't know why. But they didn't come back. But they did come back twice. It was awesome. But look, if you come to my house and knock on my door and are like, hey, can we talk about our faith? Yes, we can. And that's exactly what happened here for Paul. He had the Jewish leaders come to his place and they said, hey, we want to hear about what you believe. I mean, let's pray for those kinds of opportunities. Paul takes this opportunity presented to him by these leaders and he goes through the scriptures and shows them how Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. Right? We see that in verses 23 to 28. Look at that with me. It says, After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging from dawn till dusk. He expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, when he said, go to these people and say, you will always be listening but never understanding, and you will always be looking but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore... Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. All right, so Paul and these Roman leaders, they put a date on the calendar, and 
when the day comes, it says that Paul expounds the Scripture all day long. Right? So, look, if, if I ever see anybody tap their watch at me, if I get a little long-winded, like, we're going for it. I'm going, I'm going to tap into Paul, and we're just going for all day long. From, dusk till, from dawn till dusk, Paul expounds the Scriptures. He dives deep into the Old Testament Scriptures, and he tries to persuade these people from the law and from the prophets that Jesus is the Messiah. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm jealous of these guys. I am absolutely just Paul, as I have said, is one of my heroes in the faith. Like if I could even slightly resemble the life of Paul in my willingness to do whatever it takes to get the kingdom of God out there, my willingness to suffer if that's necessary for that purpose, and my just the ability to, to teach the word of God the way that Paul has the ability to teach it, right? I'm just, I would love to sit under this. I love hearing the word of God preached. And if I could just sit there and listen to Paul, one of the greatest missionaries and one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known, that sounds like a dream come true to me. I am jealous of these guys. But we also see the usual response after he gets done with his teaching. Some are persuaded and some do not believe. Right? That's just what we should expect as believers in Christ. As we share our faith, as we put the gospel out there, there are going to be some that are receptive and many who are not. And so we see this here. Some were persuaded. Verse 25 uh, presents an interesting possibility in how it's phrased. All right? So some are persuaded. Some didn't believe. And notice that because of this, something switched in Paul here. All right? Notice what happened there in verse 25. Paul is talking to his fellow Jews at the beginning of their first meeting together. And he says, before he quotes the prophet Isaiah, he says, when, the, when he first met the Jews in Rome, he says, I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. That's when he first met. And then now, in verse 25, Paul seems to have disassociated himself with the Jews. He says, maybe, you know, maybe something happened as he's having this conversation. You know, maybe they just seriously got on his nerves. I don't know. We didn't get to, we didn't get to see their response. But he says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was right in saying, your ancestors would do this through the prophet Isaiah. So now, after teaching them for the whole day, after some are persuaded and some don't believe, it appears that Paul is no longer lumping, them, lumping himself in their camp at this point anymore. Right? With the quote from Isaiah saying, and this is my paraphrase of it, it says, because your hearts have grown hard to the idea of the gospel, you will hear it, but you'll never understand it. Right? You will see it playing out, but it's never going to register inside your heart right you are hard of hearing you have shut your eyes to the truth and so if you were to see the gospel rightly you could and if you could perceive the truth of it you would turn from your sin and be healed but you can't because your heart has grown hard and calloused and then he follows up from there with the comment about god sending his salvation to the gentiles it seems like paul might be done with the jews for now at least for now I don't think that would be forever for Paul. Paul has a deep love and appreciation for his people. But I think he is just fed up with all the nonsense that they have put him through and presented. And even when he takes a full day to expound the truth found in the Old Testament Scriptures, you still have some that believe and some that don't. And it's just, when you are sharing your faith and people are not responding, it's heartbreaking. 
It's, it's hard when you have that spiritual desire to see people come to faith. And you see that calloused heart. You see those unseeing eyes and the unhearing ears. And you're just praying that the Lord would open those eyes and open those ears and open that heart. And, you know, if you are trying this with these people and all of a sudden you see an opportunity to go to someone else and they're going to be receptive, but these are people that you love, that is so hard. I cannot imagine what would have had to have happened in Paul's heart if he did, in fact, uh, decide to move away from pursuing the Jews at this time and only pursuing after the Gentiles. It would be heartbreaking for him. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that as well. You've got loved ones that you have shared with or friends that you've shared with, coworkers that you've shared with that you care about deeply and they just constantly are just turning their back on the truth of the gospel. And, you know, sometimes you just have to say, okay. Right? There was a guy that, a friend of mine, I, I think I've shared this story before. I, I prayed for him a lot. I tried to share the gospel with him. And then there was one day he just came to me and said, look, I appreciate it. I know that you believe this, but I don't. I don't want to hear this again. He said, I, I, don't, I don't want to have this conversation with you ever again. And I said, okay. Right? Because I, love, I, loved, I loved him. I didn't want to see... I didn't want our relationship to suffer because of it. I said, but I'm still going to pray for you. And he said, I wish you would. And I said, well, you can't stop me from doing that. Right? And I still pray for him. I still pray that one day his eyes will be open to the truth. But there are times when we just have to say, this isn't working and we're going to go try to find more fertile ground. And this is what Paul does. Paul, it says in verse 30, stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so no matter where Paul is, no matter what circumstance we find Paul in, the ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God is always at the forefront of his mind. That's his passion in life is to make sure that people have heard the gospel and have had an opportunity to respond. Right? Paul has been through a lot. And as we have gone through the book of Acts, I have presented that litany of struggles that he's gone through at least two or three times. And he is, at this moment, still being unfairly detained. I mean, it's a loose uh, imprisonment, right? I mean, it's not like he's being tortured or anything, but he's still not able to do what he wants. He's still not able to go where he wants. He's still locked up in this house. But it doesn't matter to him because he sees this as an opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. He, he uses this opportunity to challenge others to see the bright side of what God has put him through. I mean, it's amazing. Listen to what he says to the Philippian church uh, from his letter to them in chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. He says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. He said, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. He says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I would not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul looks at his imprisonment as part of God's sovereign plan for his life. Right? And it's part of God's sovereign plan for the lives of the people that he's impacting with the gospel. I mean, yes, it was a hard road to get where he is. But lives are being changed because of their belief in Jesus. More lives are being changed among the Christian community because others have grown bold in their witness because of seeing what Paul has gone through. Right? They now see through Paul, through his life, and the, the impact of his ministry, they're seeing that the gospel is worth suffering for. The gospel is worth struggling for. The gospel is worth being persecuted for. They see all this, and now, because they see it, they're proclaiming the gospel fearlessly. So he's changing the lives of the people that he's witnessing to. He's changing the lives of the believers in his life. They get to look at that and see his boldness, and they're like, I want to be that guy. I want to be bold in sharing my faith. And Paul, he just wants to live his life obediently, to the commands of God. And he wants God to get glory in everything that he's doing. And that's what he does. But that's where it ends. Like that's where the book of Acts ends. With him spending two years in, in custody and getting to do his ministry. Where's Acts 29? Right? You, you might look at the book of Acts and think, that's it? That's, that's where we're going to stop. Right? Luke has been following the life of Paul since chapter 9. And, and you're going to end it like this, Luke? Right? What happens to Paul? Does he get released? If so, how? What happened? If not, why not? Why is he still in jail? Right? Luke gave us more information about how long it took Paul to get to Rome than he told us about what happened when he got there. More ink was spilled on the trip there then what happened when he finally get, gets there? Two years passes and that's all you can think to say? Right, well, for any that's wondering, Paul doesn't actually die during this imprisonment. All right, Paul is released for a while. But eventually he's going to find himself arrested again. He's going to find himself back in Roman custody. And this time he doesn't get released. This time, uh, church history tells us that he dies a martyr's death at the hands of Rome. But why didn't Luke tell us that? He was still around. Well, I think number one, the reason why Luke didn't tell us that is this book is not about Paul. It was never about Paul. At least not singularly about Paul. Luke is trying to talk to us about the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And at this point, Rome is the center of the known world. So at this point... The gospel, once the gospel is firmly established in Rome, there's no stopping it. It is going to go. 
right? There are major highways leading in and out of the city. There are people from all over the world who are doing business in Rome. So even if the gospel isn't taken to the more remote areas by the apostles, it can still hitch a ride in the newly converted hearts of those who will hear it and believe in Rome. And if they do what they're supposed to do with the gospel, then they will go, they will share it with their friends, their family, their co-workers when they get home. Their community will have the opportunity to hear the beautiful news of the gospel and the people will see a difference in how they are living as they seek to honor and glorify God in all that they do. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's about the the message going forward. And so we don't need to know what happened to Paul. Even though we might want to know what happened to Paul, that's not the point. Number two, the story of Acts ends without resolution because the story's not over. All right, brothers and sisters, we are living in Acts 29 right now. All right, this is the final chapter that's being written, and we are living in it right now. And each one of us has a part to play in the grand narrative of Scripture, which will one day end with Christ's return. He's going to resurrect the dead, and there will be a final judgment which will determine the eternal destiny of everyone who has ever lived. And that's what we're living in right now. The pursuit of that. Your particular story, compared to Paul, might seem mundane. I would dare to think that all of our stories compared to Paul would seem quite mundane. But the bigger story that we get to be a part of is significant. And there's nothing mundane about the grand narrative of Scripture. There's nothing mundane about the idea of Christ returning, not as that helpless baby, but as the ferocious lion of Judah. Tattoo on his thigh, sword coming out of his mouth, ready to throw down. Like This is the Jesus that's returning. And when he returns, people will stand before him in judgment. And we get to have a part in whether they hear the beautiful news of the gospel when they do. We get to have a part in whether they turn from their sin and accept the salvation offered in Christ so that when they do stand before God, they get seen as Jesus is seen. They see God sees Jesus' righteousness instead of their sin. We get to be a part of that. right? You might not ever experience a shipwreck. I hope you don't. You might not ever be bitten by a venomous snake. I hope you don't. You may never be thrown in prison for your faith. I hope you don't. But if you do... I hope and pray that you would be mindful of the beauty of the gospel shining in the light of that darkness. Right? That's, what's, that's what we're living in. That's Acts 29. right? So that's what happened at the end of the story. It's not over yet. And that's why Luke didn't finish it, in my, my opinion. Because right? it's not over. You get to be a part of it. So how are you doing in your part? Right? Application. Number one, have you, have you placed your life... Faith in Jesus? Are you a part of that story that's going to one day stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and see Him as a brother? We are co-heirs with Christ if we are in Jesus. Have you placed your faith in Jesus or is your heart calloused? Do your eyes, are your eyes blinded to the truth? Have you closed your ears to the truth of the gospel. Maybe today is the first day that your eyes have been opened 
Maybe today is the first day that your soul has finally started to perk up at this idea of the truth. If today is that for you, I pray that you would repent and turn from your sin and accept the salvation that's offered in Christ. What are you waiting for? What truth have you not seen yet in the realities of Jesus that would make you say, nope, I don't want that. Put your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sin. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And believe. I would love to talk to you about that today if that's you in here. And secondly, if you are a Christian in here this morning, how are you spending your life? How are you spending your life? We are in the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. We are the continuation of God's story of redemption to the nations. And my question to you is, are you playing your part? Are you sitting on the sidelines? I mean, what could be more important than taking the news of salvation to a dark and dying world, a world that is obviously spinning out of control, at least by human standards, God's not out of control, but the world is spiraling. We We can look at it and see it. And we get to play a part in pulling people out of that mess. How are you doing? Are you actively pursuing it? And if not, why not? What would hinder you from that? And it's my job to help prepare you for that. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to walk with you through whatever you need so that you can be active in your part of this story. And so if you're like, Chris, today, I'm not that active. I don't, I don't necessarily pursue after the kingdom of God. I don't share my faith. And I need some help. Come talk to me. I'm literally here all day long on Sunday. Almost every single Sunday. All afternoon, waiting for someone to come talk. So if you need that, just let me know. I'll put it on the calendar, and I will talk to you from dawn till dusk, if you let me. All right, so put that out there. Use it if you need it. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for the book of Acts. I'm grateful to see how your church flourished even under persecution and hardship. I love seeing how the church came together and served one another and loved one another and fulfilled all of the other 59 one another's that we see in the New Testament. And I pray that this church would be one that fulfills that as well. I pray that you would give us the opportunity uh, to take this beautiful message of the gospel and put it into our community and let's see lives changed, hearts going from callous, dead hearts of stone to life, lives turned around from addiction and and struggle to uh, fulfilling a righteousness that we we can't achieve on our own. Lord, I pray that we would be able to be part of Uh, something huge in the lives of those around us as we seek to fulfill an Acts 29 kind of ministry, Lord. We love you. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.